Welcome into another episode of We're Talking. Today we're talking football with Kevin Foote of the Daily Note, the Advocate. Yeah, Kadiana Advocate. The Kadiana Advocate and 103.7 The Game. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning. So, um, well, we're just here. We're going to talk a little football. Let's talk some Sunbelt football. Let's talk uh, some Cajun football. Kind of want to get your impression. I know it's only two games in, but you've seen a lot of football over the years uh, because you've got some age to you. Yes, we both do. Getting old, <laughs> but no. Let, let's let's start out with the Sun Belt. Do you do you remember a week, not just within Sun Belt football or a weekend, I should say, that a G five conference had so many wins, signature wins? Well, it'd be hard. Yeah, I would say no. And, you know, I saw Dr. Maggard after the game, the Cajuns win over Eastern Michigan, and I'm like, this might have even, this might have surpassed the, the, the great, the big week that the Sunbelt had the, the two years ago when the Cajuns beat Iowa State and was it Coastal beat Kansas and yeah, and there North uh, Monroe beat uh, Kansas State. So yes. it beat three Big 12 teams, which is great. And uh, he said, yeah, it, it, it is. But the the thing that I a lot well there were a lot impressed me about Saturday with the Sun Belt. But the thing that was nice was it wasn't just those three wins. Um, you know, the Cajuns had an impressive second half. South Alabama went to Central Michigan one. Um and Texas State, who hasn't been a very good program at all, demolished FIU. You know, wasn't that long? FIU was a pretty good program. And and they were one of the teams that left the Sun Belt and, and you know, for greener pastures. And and Texas State's not real good in football, or hasn't been, and they crushed him. So the depth of the conference, and what did they get, nine or ten wins? And, you know, what, what to me was almost as impressive and added to the impressive weekend just almost as much as the high-profile wins. I, yeah, I, I read, and I did not go and look at this, but I, I, I saw this on Twitter. So, you know, it's on the Internet. It has to be true because you can't put anything on Twitter that's not true. <laughs> but uh, the Sunbelt Conference have six undefeated teams. The other G5 Conference combined only have five undefeated teams. The stat that really is amazing, and all the reason why I think partially the reason why it is is because – a lot of the Power 5 teams just don't go on the road and play other Power 5 teams very much, which goes back to my theory that I've had for years and years that if the NCAA is going to serve a function in this era where they're becoming less and less, is that they need to schedule the games for everyone in football. Not all the sports, but in football, they need to tell Alabama, the LSUs, and everybody, this is your schedule. And I think it would be a little bit better. But the, the Sun Belt in the last five years has more road wins over Power 5 teams than any conference in, yeah, in, in the country, the, including the SECs and the Big 12s, and the, because they don't play a lot, but they don't also win a lot. So that's impressive. I, I, I just – the quality of football, if you would have told me this four years ago or even when they had the last realignment and everybody felt we were being left behind in the Sun Belt, uh, I, which I probably agreed with, but – Man, I don't think I would have thought I would have seen a day like this. I wrote a column, published it this morning, and it's in a for the in the Acadiana Advocate tomorrow. Think about where the Sun Belt was. Think about all the conversations you've had with 
Cajun fans and probably fans of other teams 15 years ago, 10 years ago. For a while, they was like, can we just get out of the Sun Belt? Can we, you know, some people had more thinking Big 12, you know, years ago, they were talking Big West and Conference USA was, oh, you know, can we possibly get into Conference USA? And a lot of the schools left and a few stayed and the Cajuns are one of them. And look at where it is now. It's amazing. Like all that greener grass turned brown. And and a lot of people thought the Cajuns were foolish in staying and not going. And not only did they have the humongous weekend, but they're like holding all the cards in this whole realignment stuff. They added these schools and they added good schools. Folks, James Madison knows what they're doing. They have big time support. Marshall's been good in football for a long time now. And they've got a brand. And the win over Notre Dame is great, but they had a brand even if they didn't beat Notre Dame. And James Madison, one of the coaches I interviewed at Sunbelt Conference Media Day was the, this coach at James Madison. And look, he's one of these guys that if you don't like him, like if you don't like their school, you're not going to like him because he does. he is not one to just beat around the bush and try to make things sound better than they are. He just says it like he, I, how he sees it. And they're, they're good. And he, he, I don't know if the Cajuns will ever have, I don't know how often the Cajuns will even play them unless they get through a series where they can meet them in like, like they did at, you know, in the conference championship game for a few years in a row, but they're good and they've got a following and they got support. I mean, the Sun Belt, it's unbelievable where they are right now. And again, it's not just, it is football wins, but it's the structure and where they are in realignment. They they won when no other mid-major conference is winning right now. Well, it goes back even to baseball last season. Four Sunbelt Conference teams in, in the NCAA tournament. And then one of the teams coming in, Southern Miss, also made the tournament. I don't think the Sunbelt gets five teams in if Southern Miss is here. But still, they, I think the future is bright. Oh, it's it it's it's unbelievable. And now it's like if college football does what a lot of people think in ten years, fifteen years, whenever down the road, the big schools are gonna go form their own little deal, whatever, then the Sunbelt and the and its teams are in great shape. The way it looks right now. Great shape. Way better shape than like the Kansases and the Vanderbilts and the those bottom level teams and the power of their, their, their history. Do you think in your opinion, the American made a mistake on when they did their realignment, when they lost their teams going back from markets like Florida Atlantic? You see, <clears throat> I understand. I'm not a, fi I always joke that a high finance decision for me is whether I upsize a happy meal or not, but <laughs> But I'm not, I don't have the financial mind that a lot of people, but I never bought this whole market thing for a programs like them that no one goes to their games. Like, I understand that it, you can sell advertising that way, but to me, there's there, there's a there's an end to that road. Like, you can only go so far down that road if you're, oh, I want them, even though no one goes to their games and no one cares about them in their market, but I'm going to be able, to me, there's an end to that. And I, I agree, I, I don't, I don't think. I think they made a mistake there. I just think that there are going to be more people tuning into Sunbelt Conference games this weekend because of the big wins last weekend than, than they would at Absolutely. FAU. I don't, I don't care what FAU does. 
I agree. You know, until they beat Miami or until they beat Clemson? And it, I, there's just no real uh, long-term success there. I don't see that happening. I, I'm with you. Look, look, it's not always going to be this. You know, the Sunbelt coaches are not going to be interviewed on the Jim Rome show and all these shows every week. But they made a splash, and people are going to remember. And there's just the rivalries and the, the brands that they have. I, I don't I don't think it's going to end anytime soon. I, I think the, the one thing for me, too, let's say they did get $4 million extra. But at some point, when you divide it up between that many teams, your TV money, and then you take into account your cost of travel, not just your football team. Right. But your baseball, your basketball, and you're flying all over the country. Sooner or later, some some AD is going to go. We made a huge mistake. No, I I think they did. Now the only sport that the Sun Belts, I don't know what to think is basketball down the road. I don't know how basketball is going to play out long term. But I understand for some people it's all about football and none of these other sports even matter. But yeah. basketball is the one that I don't really know. I have no idea. How, where we're going to be five years from now. Basketball, in my opinion, has to schedule more conference games because it's getting harder and harder to schedule non-conference games. So to me, expand the conference schedule. I think the women did that a couple of years ago. I know Coach Broadhead didn't like it because, yeah. because he was still playing Mississippi State, bringing Mississippi State in, bringing LSU in. That's not happening in men's basketball. No. So And it's not probably going to happen. No, it's often. not. No. That's not because I think I think before football breaks away, I think TV wants wants that to happen in basketball. Yeah. And to me, that's not what made March Madness. It was Cinderella. And again, I, I know you and I have talked about yeah. Cinderella ain't a 17 and 15 Syracuse team. No, that, that, that that's not going to go. Now, the new teams that came in on the other side, I think they're pretty good at basketball. I think it's going to push everyone. I also think the 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 transfer rule without having to sit out will can can benefit a G five school. Can you imagine we had Marcus Strollman uh, and those guys, and they didn't have to sit out that year? Yeah, yeah, that would have helped. No question, no question. Now the other thing in terms of new schools that I just think is so much irony involved in that have gone through my mind since Saturday's big Sun Belt Day was. I, for those of us who are older, who were around here in the 70s, not so much the 70s, but the 80s and the 90s, I joked for years that the model program for Cajun football, man, if we could only be Southern Miss, can we just be – Southern Miss was the model program for Cajun fans in the 80s and 90s because every time we went to Hattiesburg, just got their face crushed except for the one glorious Mike Lemoyne game. And – now, how ironic it is that Southern Miss is one of the programs coming in, and the Cajuns are actually at a higher level in football than this model program that was there for. It's just the irony, and the grass is greener, and all that. It just, it, it's really hit home this week for me. Uh, Southern Miss, I think, I think they let their football coach go and got into a little financial trouble, uh, and I, and at the same time, they, I think they had to go out to a bowl game in Hawaii and lost a lot of money. Yeah. But with all that said, it's, it doesn't take much of an imagination to remember or much of a memory to remember when they were a really good mid-major program. And so 
I think they'll be back. I don't think it's going to take that long for them to be back because football is important for them, and, I, and and they're in a good conference, and everything's going good. And look, think of the rivalries with the Cajuns and, and South Al. I think the South Al rivalry with Southern Miss is going to grow real quick. And so I think they're, they'll be back, but it's just the ironies of where we were and where we are now and all the things that have been said and thought over the – it's just kind of all coming this, back to me this week, and it's – um. It's very interesting. I I love it and and loved uh, love the weekend. Did you get to watch any of the other games? I watched the app game was on on the in the press box, yep. you know, for the hour before. Okay. I was worried because I had a flashback. It's, you know, um, apps dominating the game, and then they kick off and they didn't return for a touchdown. Yeah, and so my you know how my mind works. I I, I go back to 1986, Oklahoma Nelson State. Stokely's. Uh, first game as a Cajun coach. They're playing Oklahoma State. Barry Sanders, Thurman. Well, Thurman Thomas. Barry Sanders was like a freshman, but Thurman yeah. was the man. And I remember the Cajuns get the sack in the end zone. They go up 20-9. to nine. I don't know how much. Seven or eight minutes left, whatever was left in the game. And back then, you, you would you could, you could would, would go down and go on the field like we did for Saints games for years. And all the way down, after I, I, I ran down, in, and all the way down, I'm saying, squib kick, squib kick. Squib kick, squib kick. And what did they do when I got to the bottom? They had kicked off. And uh, who was it? Bobby Riley ran it back for a touchdown. And I'm like, oh. and then Hartley Dykes catch it, and they lose 21-20. But anyway, that, that's where my mind went. I'm like, oh, they might have blown it. But they didn't because they just kept playing defense. <laughs> it's funny because I was thinking about you during the Saints game. And at the end of the game, when we got the uh, – was it roughing the passer or something? We got a penalty. It, it moved the ball. Their, their last play before their their kick, the Falcons. Was intentional grounding? Inten- he had spiked the ball, and they called intentional grounding. Yeah, but the Falcons had the ball. And didn't they kick – didn't they make a – try to la- last second field goal? Yes, they did. Oh, no, 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 no. It was, you're talking about on the penalty on uh, – that's the it's, one. Lattimore got a – Yes. That's what Yeah, it was. yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I'm sitting here. I'm thinking – and then when they brought the, the the field goal team out, I'm like, that was a great penalty, because think think what happens if they don't. That's probably his longest distance that he's going to kick from. If not, they're throwing it down the field, and all I can remember is Minnesota or somebody yeah. where or Big Ben. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I'm going yeah. like this. I'm like, so when, once they went for the field goal, I was like, oh, we got this. I mean, he's going to either miss it, and then all of a sudden we blocked it. But I'm going like I thought. When it first did it, I'm like, you've got to keep your head. You got yes. to keep. And then when they brought the field goal unit out, I'm like, that was genius. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think the coach told him that was genius. No. I'm sure they had some very interesting words. No, absolutely. It, it's it's uh, but it was kind of funny. I'm sitting there going, uh, that that's but yeah. I and and I just think of all the different things. But so back to the play, the intentional grounding. First of all, they said the clock was stopped, stopped, which it should not have been. He was down by contact when he caught the ball, and he caught the ball inbounds. And and, and I think I think the officials should have stopped the game because it was under two minutes, and it should have been an official review whether he was in or out. Uh, I, yeah, don't, I don't I, blame James. Yeah, I think there, there was a lot of confusion there. I was, I've also been told since the, the game happened that the official that got knocked down 
is the one that stopped the clock. That stopped the clock. And so no one saw that he was like on the ground, apparently. I didn't, I, don't, I still didn't see I it. I didn't see it. Either. And so, no, there was a lot of confusion. And it wasn't just Jameis because I don't think any of the Saints coaches thought the, no. the clock had been stopped. So, and then I think they did botch it two plays later, but I think it just kind of let it begin. Their their confusion started and it never really recovered. Yeah. It never rebounded from their confusion, and they were just confused. And I'm just thankful it worked out. Absolutely. Well, let's talk Cajuns football. I'm you here. I, I, I asked you because uh, two games into the season now, do we know anything new that you didn't know before the season start? And let's start on the offensive side of the ball. Um, well, one thing that. We kind of know is I don't know about no, but we I thought and the coach Coach Dez has said that they thought James Ahamba, the Michigan State transfer, was going to be a guard. Well, it turns out he's definitely a tackle. In fact, they really like the way he's playing at tackle, and it worked out. I think the only reason he's going to tackle is because King McGowan suffered a season-ending injury, and so they thought maybe they could get some backup. Not that he was going to start, but maybe get some backup time, maybe be in the rotation. So I think they like the fact that that he is he is at tackle. Um, we have more re- even more recently found out that Lance Lejeune is no longer a quarterback; he's a wide receiver. And I say that because he's way down on the depth chart. But we all know the elite athletic ability that he has. So I still think that I was thinking more wildcat for him. Yeah, coming out of camp or during camp, like they need. It's probably complicated when you when you're playing two quarterbacks already to, to throw a third one in there as a wildcat. But now that he's at wide receiver, I still think that they can find a way to utilize not not a lot now, but maybe by the end of the year, once the offense kind of settles down with all the new things happening, to really utilize his athletic ability. I know we have a different coach, but at the same time, we saw Trey Regis in the Wildcat last year. So I don't think it's unprecedented that you have a third guy come in necessarily I, I i think it you know you can't do it a lot but it seems like by the end of the year i'm really hoping they can utilize his athletic ability some kind of way whether it's just i'm not a big fan of these i don't know what the technical terms of it but when they throw like the ball in the line of scrimmage to the wide receiver yeah. and they got two guys blocking it from to me that play hardly ever works i hate it but with someone as athletic as him it might work i, I think with him in the wildcat what I do is I, if, if it's me, I bring him in as wide receiver the first play, and I don't bring my quarterback out. I move him to wide receiver and then bring him in at quarterback. That way the defense doesn't have an opportunity to change. I mean, just a thought there. I Coach look, Dez, if you're listening, <laughs> I'm available for consultation. I've said it a lot over the last couple of years. It's amazing to me the similarities between the Saints and the Cajuns and their issues and their strengths and their weaknesses and their concerns and this year, the similarities are through the roof. And now, if Lance Lejeune becomes that guy, I mean, we've been looking at Batman, Taysom Hill all these yep. years and what they can do. And I've been screaming, you have a guy who has the ability to throw the football, which Lance does. They can, you know, it could get interesting. It could be fun anyway. But first, right now, they got to, you know, we got to get the, the nuts and bolts down and see how the, off, the strengths and weaknesses of the of the offense first. Do, do you think part of it is to, uh, again, you want to win every game, but at the same time, you don't want to show too much because you are going to start conference play and conference play starts. We go to ULM, but then we host South Alabama right after that. Who We both talked about 
is a really good team. And then Marshall. So and that's Marshall. a huge, huge two-game stretch. So, no, I think maybe a tiny bit. But I really think right now is they're just trying to learn learn what they have and get things down pat. You know, I think Coach Des knows, and that's why he keeps saying it over and over and over again, how much people don't like using two quarterbacks. But it's hard to argue with it right now. Because, one, they've had this philosophy since day one when Coach Napier got here in 2018. That if you if you do the right thing and you're good, you're going to play some. In other words, they want as many people as they I've heard Coach Napier put it over the years uh, on the bus going to the game, thinking I'm a, I'm going to play, I'm going to contribute to this team. And so they do it at guard, and they do it at defensive tackle, and they do it at safety, and they do it at start, they do it at every position except for quarterback and kicker. And so now he's got a situation where a guy that they all respect, and he's done all the right things, and he's good enough. They're playing him. And he was 12 of 13 against Eastern Michigan. You could argue he played better than Chandler did. And so I don't have any issue with it, but I, I know that he's trying to get all that settled. He's trying to get the role because their rotation on the offensive line is not what they want it to be yet. And they don't even know their running back rotation because Draylor Washington, I thought, looked good. Well, I, I, that was going to be my next question, but – before we switch to, to the running backs, the quarterback is one of those things. You've seen it through the years. How often does the Cajun – I mean, you have to go back to Jake and Brian Mitchell that a quarterback finishes the season without getting hurt too. Well – You have to go pretty far back. How fortunate were the Cajuns with Levi oh. Lewis? Now, some of that was by design. Yes. Because Levi, he was not interested in getting hit a whole lot. And I don't think Coach Napier was interested in him getting hit a whole lot. And so – some of the times, well, man, why didn't he just run? Well, I think that was by design. So some of it was for good fortune, and some of it was by design. They protected him, and, you know, he won a lot of games, and it worked out great. But, yeah, that, that very fortunate. I just think when, you, when you're um, – Levi had a presence, which, I, uh, which, again, this is not against Chandler Fields, but in the first game, I thought the two-corner blitzes, Chandler needs to do a better job of, of seeing that and getting rid of the ball – or calling because that's something Levi would do. And, right. But, but, but then again, we saw Levi in the program for five years yeah. and playing. So, I, again, it's not a chop, uh, shot at Chandler. I think he's going to get better. I think it's going to come. Yeah. yeah. So the running backs, I mean, that was a game that, I, again, I, I know we don't have a rotation, but I think it was a lot of people's concern about the running back position. But I'm not there anymore. I, I'm one of those guys that I think – I don't care who's back there. I like what we have. I mean, we've seen in the past we've had three guys running the ball. Do we have four now? It's possible. And I think a lot of people would be surprised that through two games, the running backs have run for 94 more yards than the running backs did through two games last year. Because Cadiz didn't run it well at Texas. They didn't run it well against Nichols either. Now, they had a huge game three against Ohio. If you remember, yeah, but um, but no, the running backs have actually run more for more yard. A lot of people are really worried about the running game and the offensive line doesn't look good. And I've heard a lot of these comments. And look, they're all legitimate concerns and questions. But through two games, the running backs have been more productive than I thought they were going to be. I really like Terrence Williams. I mean, he looks. You know, a lot of times what coaches tell you in off season, you can't. Yeah. Is that really gonna? But he looked like a completely different back, much better, much improved over what we saw in a small sample size last year. Well, I like the fact that no running back had more than nine carries 
but at the same time, you know, 5.6 yards, 4.5 yards, 4.7 yards a, a carry, 3.3. I like Jacob Cavoti. I think when he, if he gets in some space, I know he's a bigger back, but I believe if he gets in some space, he's going to be tough to get, get take down. I agree. I like all of them so far. Um, and Chris Smith is just Chris Smith. I, I, I just wonder, you know, you've heard backs that, you got to get a certain amount of carries. We've heard that for years. Look, they're never going to have a back that's going to carry the ball 20 times a game. That's just not going to happen. Yeah. We got guys, the Cajuns have guys in the NFL right now that didn't do that. So it's not going to happen. But do you think they just got to figure out a way to get as much out of their potential without wearing them down? I, to me, that's tough. And it's tough for three. I always thought it was kind of tough for three. And now you got four potential. Do you think, though, that they they use that, look, we've got guys in the NFL that only carried the ball 12 times a game. Oh, do, yeah. Do they use that to say, you know, we, we want you to keep fresh? You know, at some point, again, we're going to probably, you know, what, whether it's a twisted ankle, hopefully that's as bad as it gets, or a pulled hamstring. You know, these guys are all going to get some more touches somewhere down the line, I would think. Yeah, I mean – and again, it's a lot harder. It's a lot easier to keep quarterbacks healthy than running backs healthy. Yeah, you know because they're getting beat up all the time. So I'm sure there's you know there was a game, there were games when Mitchell was out for a while and Regis was out for a while. So I mean it's going to happen. You would think. Uh, so some of that might take care of itself a little bit. But if not, until then, you know, the other thing that complicates it is we talked to Coach Bergeron on Tuesday, the running backs coach. He said he claims. None of them have – now, Chris, early in his career, had protection issues, blocking, pass yeah. blocking. But he says he's you know he's good now that none of them are – there's not going to be a decision on any of them where they're not going to play because, well, they're not good at pass pro. Well, if they're good at pass pro and they can all catch the ball, so you're not playing somebody because they can't catch the ball and you're not benching someone on this drive, then how do you make those decisions – you know, every week, if you really have four guys that can all run it, that's a tough. It's great to have that, but that's tough decisions to make each week. How many kids do you think from high school come in though as running backs can block? I mean, or or they probably can block, but had to do it. do it. Hardly not. Yeah, hardly so, not. especially fast guys like Chris. Yeah, I mean, now you know, real physical guys like Kendrell. Can you imagine if he hadn't suffered a knee injury, you'd have five right now because Kendrell's good. Yeah. And so, I mean, they could have had five. And that's after losing Amani and Montreal, which last year at this time, none of us thought that, you know, we all thought Amani and Montreal were going to be on the yeah. team. That's how much depth they had at running back. I, I, I've been saying it all year to anybody that will listen. I don't think the, the, the question has been about depth. It was about experience. We have plenty of depth at yeah. most positions. Offensive line is kind of rough. But – they're getting there, uh, but we've got plenty of depth at running back. It's just it's experience. Still, yes, and 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 the way that I wrote my column that I wrote earlier this week was they might have enough numbers to overcome the lack of experience. That's kind of what it's looking like. So hopefully it plays out that way. You're listening. We're talking with Craig Malosso and Kevin Foot of the Acadiana Advocate. You can read Kevin's article online or subscribe to the newspaper. Kevin's also on 103.7 The Game from nine. To eleven, so wide receivers or the receivers in general, because I I hope he 
you know, I know it was a, a it was unique five catches for the tight ends in the first game. I think they had two or three last week. I, I hope it doesn't continue to go down. I hope they spread the ball around. What what have you seen out of the receivers core so far? Well, it's a little tricky because you know, in two of the the Canyons have played four halves of football. Two of the halves they've played great offensively, and two of the halves they've not played very good at all offensively. No. And in those two, not very good at all offensively. They didn't complete hardly any passes. So, like Peter LeBlanc led the team in receptions last year. Not a lot, but still led the teams in reception because they divided up so much. And he he hasn't done hardly anything this season, catching-wise. But the tight ends you right have, look, I'm a big tight end guy. If it was me, Neil Johnson would be the superstar receiver of this team. Maybe there's still time for that because I think he's really good. Uh, I agree. Uh, I, I, I'm a, I'm a big tight end guy, and I love Johnny Lumpkin, but I think Neil Johnson, you know, probably should lead this team in receptions if I was the king. But, you know, the, Coach Dez doesn't worry about what I think, <laughs> nor should he. But I'm just saying that's what it would be. So I think um, I, I think it's going to be spread out again. Now, I think Michael Jefferson is going to lead all – if he stays healthy, I expect that he'll lead all – wide receivers and receptions at the end of the year. And he probably should because I think he's, he's good. He had that one drop, but he's human. Yeah. We'll, we'll get past that. But I, I think the tight ends are going to catch more balls consistently. They're not going to have five catches for 72 yards every game, but or one of them. But but I think they're going to get – and I think Neil needs to keep getting fed. I agree. I know. Uh, and, and I think he's, he's getting better at it. I know when Lumpkin first got here, he had a hard time catching the ball. He was a good blocker. He doing things, but he he had a hard time yeah. catching the ball. He's um, and you could see that when he caught the ball, the sidelines would erupt. Right. I think that's behind him. I agree. Yeah. I know. And look, and you got Pierce Meagle too. You could argue the play of the year so far was that fourth down play in the first game where they threw it to Pierce Meagle and he kept breaking tackles and got and, yeah, and, and scored. So no, I, I I think he's not like as talented as those other guys on, but he's a football player. And and look. They've loved him from day one because he's a football player. And so, no, I, I think it's great. They have a lot of time. The problem is, again, my concern is try to imagine, and none of us can because we're not play callers, but try to imagine I have two quarterbacks. I have three tight ends that I really like. I have, what, seven, eight receivers that I really like, and I have four running backs. You know, in basketball, we we talk a lot about there's only one ball. Well, there's still only one ball in football. Now, you get a lot more. Well, I don't know. You get a lot of plays in basketball. There's a lot of plays. There's only so many plays. Like, you have all these options. It's great to have depth. I've always argued it's great to have depth. But it can be real confusing if there are, if everybody stays healthy. Yeah. Like, if, every, if you have all this depth, which they do, and if everybody stays healthy, which we all want, nobody wants anybody to get hurt, then what do you that, – that's a lot of options. That's a lot of decisions to make. That's a lot of miles to feed. Yep. You know what I'm saying? That's a lot. It's even more than last year. I I know. It's kind of strange to say that. You've seen a lot of football, though. Uh, Michael Jefferson and John Stevens, you think they can play on Sundays? I think Jefferson has a better chance than Stevens. I, I think Stevens' size advantage gets minimized at the next level. So I, I would be surprised if he does. Look, Jamarcus Bradley. Really good. Yeah, he, he was. He was really good. And he's, you know, he's hanging on, but he's like on the bot, you know, practice squad type guy. 
Uh, I don't think any of these guys are Jamarcus Bradley. But I think Jefferson's got a better chance than Stevens. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, offensive line uh, doesn't get uh, – sometimes they don't get enough credit and get too much blame. But I, I think they're starting to round out a little better. I think there was some questions. But, again, it was experience. Um, I Now, we do have a little bit of a depth issue there, but I think that's starting to clear up with some of the guys coming back that will be able to rotate in. Is there anything you've seen with them? Well, I think Nathan Thomas is going to be better than a lot of people thought coming out of the spring in terms of, oh, no, you, you lose Mitchell, and he was really good. Um, and you lose Osiris, and, and he's really good. But I think Rubio's a good player, and I think Nathan Thomas is a better player than maybe some Cajun fans thought coming in, or at least the coaches, I think, really believe that that he is. And he seems like he, he is. So, you know, one of the things about him is I didn't realize he was a, actually a t- played tight end in high school. That's how athletic wow. he, he is because he's a big kid, Nathan. He was very impressive in it. Look. You, you can't always judge uh, a player because, look, we've had plenty of good players who are not great interviews. Elijah Mitchell was a <laughs> humongous, a great, had a great career, and he's a great player. If he'd stay healthy, he'd be a star in the NFL. Not the best interview, but Nathan Thomas was very impressive. Folks, we, we, we're on the offensive side right now, I yep. know, and I'm jumping to gun. That's okay. Casey Osai. Oh. Folks. I was blown away when we interviewed him. And really? Okay. And and he was very impressive. Maybe the most impressed I've been in two years with an Cajun football player interview. Very impressive. And he and and I think he's the next guy that's gonna be a star on this team. Well Casey Osai. He kind of came out of nowhere. He was like yep. the player of the week and he had these nine tackles. Wow. It's I'm impressed with him. It, it I Let's, let's just move on to the defense. And, but, you know, uh, before we move on, though, I just want to mention, it, which, uh, you know, you mentioned Carlos Rubio, who was supposed to be a starter last year, but yes. got injured. So, I mean, again, we expect, I think. I we're, think he's going to be fine. Yeah, we're, yeah. we're going we, to expect a lot out of him, and I think he's going to be fine. Exactly. Yes, and I think Nathan is going to be fine, and, and, and they like Ohamba as, as depth, that at some point he's going to have to play, and he's playing already. Yeah. But, um my only concern in the offensive line is they're not, you know, Hudson, we love his depth and the depth that he gives us. I mean, the experience that he gives you. He's not the biggest guy. So I'm a little worried about playing really bulky teams. Yeah. But but I, I think that they'll have enough depth there. And um, hopefully Landon Burton's supposed to be back this week. And not that he's going to start necessarily, but but add some He'll of get that. some time. So I, I, think, I think it'll all work itself out. So defense, uh, you know, you mentioned interviews. Yeah. Uh, I got a chance last year at Sunbelt Conference Media Days to talk with uh, uh, Zion Hill Green, and I just found him very pleasurable and very nice. A little bit soft-spoken at times, but at the same time, uh, talking with him, uh, I forgot the question I asked him, but he he said, you know, when I first came here, he goes, I did not want to say anything. He said, but I realized that if I want to play on the next level or if I want to do more, yeah. I, I've got to be more outgoing. So I, I just – and I told Jay this this weekend. I said, I know I got kind of a man crush on him, but, man, he is just – he's there in the middle. He takes up space. It doesn't seem he gets a lot of tackles, but I always use the analogy of uh, Ricky Jackson and Hugh Green. 
on when they were on Pittsburgh. Right. No one knew who Ricky Jackson was. Saints did. Yeah. But he was being double teamed, and Hugh Green made all the tackles. No, uh, I, I he's a one of the things that's fun about covering a program, especially when you have local players. Like I've interviewed those some of these kids in high school because I cover high school football yeah. as well. And then you, you you interview them as freshmen, and then now they're like like Jordan Quibido. He's just so distinguished, you know, got this deep voice. But he he wasn't that. He didn't handle himself in interviews nearly as well as a freshman. And neither did Zion, but you can see him as they get older, and you can see how they mature and how they end. He, and Zion does great now. He's got a presence. Now. Yes. He doesn't just do interviews. He's got a presence when he interviews. And Jordan's the same way, so no, they deserve a lot of credit for that. So, uh, Casey Osai, though, you mentioned. Uh, and just, you know, when, I, when I, I was up in the booth, I spot for Jay. So, when I, when I type the number in, I'm going like, uh, and I, I kept seeing this name, Casey Osai, pop up. Casey, I'm going like. I've got the binoculars out, and I'm looking again. Do I have the right number? Because I hadn't heard much about him, I guess. Uh, or you know, and then all of a sudden, his his name, his number keeps popping up in all this thing, and I'm just going like, "All right, this dude's for real." Oh, I think he's for real. And again, I, I'm trying not to put too much stock in how impressive he was. He just had a presence and a knowledge. And Coach Dad said something on Monday's presser, I think. He said he's got elite leadership skills. So this is a guy who's a young player, who's a backup. We don't know hardly anything about yet until he made all these nine tackles on in Saturday's win. And I got a head coach telling me he's got elite leadership skills already. Not just good, elite. And so I, I think Casey Osai is fixing to be a star on this team. I agree. You know the other one that surprised me? Uh, you know, he – Played a lot last year and had had his moments, but Cambodesco, he is flying all over the field, and I and maybe he was last year, and maybe he just wasn't the guy that was in on the tackle, but he, I'm very impressed with his play so far. He's a guy that he doesn't say a lot, and he's not as outspoken as like Casey I was just talking about, but he's one of the ones that when you interview him, it's like he knows stuff that. You just get the impression he knows stuff that you don't know, and you just don't even try to figure it out because he knows. <laughs> you know, he he he's just so cool, and he's just calm. Like, yeah, I, I know what you mean, and he just, <laughs> I got this. You know, he's an I got this guy, and you know, I remember when it first came up and he started playing. It's like he's just walk on Pierce Meagle and Cam Podesco. I remember going back to the very beginning when Coach Napier just got here. We we'd come out and we and and. Coach, anybody impressed? Pierce Mingle and Cam Podesco. And here we are, all these years later, and Coach Napier isn't even here anymore, and and, and Pierce Mingle still making plays and, and overachieving, and Cam Podesco was, you know, he was a walk-on, got scholarship, and now he's like one of the leaders of the team. Just very impressive, and you're right, he makes a lot of plays. Uh, I, I've enjoyed watching both him and Casey play play the uh, the last two weeks have been fun. Yes. The, the other one is Marcus Weiser. I mean, he's stepped up in a big way. Uh, you know, two sacks, I think three tackles for a loss altogether, you know. And then Andre Jones. I mean, I again, we weren't sure on the defensive line what we were going to have there, but it seems like between the, the linebackers and the defensive line, we're making a lot of plays. They are, and Marcus Weiser's another great story. When we interviewed him a couple of weeks ago, he was like, I asked him, 
And you can tell, at least I think I can tell after all these years doing this, when someone's just kind of feeding you a line or if they're really honest. And I asked him, you know, did you think back in the spring, you know, coming to a new team from a junior college that you would be a starter? He's like, and you could just tell he was like, man, I almost, he almost like lost. Like he basically told us a story. He was like, he called his mom. Like, I don't know if I'm good. I don't know if I'm cut out for this. Like, really? Like, I don't know if I can do this. Like he was, he came from a totally different defensive scheme and they were teaching him all this stuff. And, and, and he said, I just kept messing up and it just kept messing up. And the coaches just kept telling me, don't worry. Start over tomorrow. You'll get it. You'll get it. And he went from the spring of really not knowing if he can really do this at this level and that he would fit in at all with the defense to starting in the first game. And he's got two sacks in two games. And you could tell he was just like, oh, no, I, I was lost. Like, he didn't <laughs> know what what he was doing. But he kept getting better. He kept getting better. And now he's got two sacks in two games. So great story. But isn't that kind of, I mean, if you look at this Cajun team, not not all of them, but, and, and, and I mean this in, in a good way, but a basket of misfits. You had Eric Garrar that nobody wanted, was from Mobile. South Alabama didn't offer him a scholarship. Comes here, playing great. Chris Smith, and he said it. Why would I want to go anybody else, go anywhere else? That's what mid-major, that's what successful mid-major programs have to be. If you listen to Coach Clark, we were talking about off the air from App, and if I don't know if you heard his interview with Jim Rome earlier this week, no, he was saying the same thing. He basically said, "Look, Texas A&M don't we don't have any players at Texas A&M would ever recruit, and yet we went over there and beat them because we got our guys, the App guys, or whatever." And that's all. That's part of what the de- developmental programs are. You're not recruiting for. I mean, you might get a four star every once in a while, but you're not recruiting four and five star athletes you're bringing guys here you're developing them and hoping that you get steals and that's what all i mean joe nobody recruited jordan quibito he's starting for a team on a 15 game winning streak right now you know what i'm saying and that that that's what mid major good main major programs are made of full of good stories like that yes i just i mean you know app has that winning tradition and now the cajuns are kind of getting there it's been it's been 11 years now since Coach Hud started, and I, I really think um, it was good to see Coach Hud this weekend. And I really, I've got a lot of respect for him because I don't think we get Coach Napier without a Coach Hud. First of all, because true. we we don't get that athletic performance center without Coach Hud. Uh, so, oh, absolutely. But look, um, boy, I'm I'm getting old and senile. It was a running back that Coach Hud the very first year. Um. That he recruited, he got in trouble and he left the program, but he was like the big time fancy recruit. And then you had Alonzo Harris, who really wasn't that much, wasn't recruited, wasn't thought of in the recruiting circles as high as the other kid. He won number 23, I think. Anyway, um, that wasn't the kid from Beaumont that that threw the ball in the air on the YouTube video and ran down 40. No, 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 no. He was, a, was I want to say he was from Mississippi, but anyway. He got in all kind of trouble and, and, and he left the boat. But he was more, way more highly recruited. And then Alonzo Harris went that highly recruited. And he had a tremendous career here. And uh, in fact, um, 
we were talking about comebacks. I heard someone talking about comebacks the other day, and Lonzo Harris was one of the biggest comebacks in school history, like five touchdowns. And he had several games like that. He was he was great. Wasn't highly that thought of coming in, but had a great career. So yeah, this program, mid major programs, are all about not the guys having guys having great careers that weren't really that highly recruited. And there's examples of that all over this program. Uh, I just want to talk about one more thing. I know I've probably kept you longer than I expected, oh, but it's, it's going. We have fun talking. I, that's what I was going to say. I, I've enjoyed. It doesn't seem like we've been talking 44 minutes. <laughs> I, I love this. Uh, but you're listening. We're talking with Craig Malasa and Kevin Foote of the Acadiana Advocate and 103.7 The Game weekdays from 9 to 11. Um, you know, I, I think I told you this story before that, you know, the Cajuns and Rice don't have a long history. And of, of the four games uh, they have played, well, actually five games. The first one was 19, 1921, which neither one of us were alive. No. But um, of the four games, I, I went to two of them. And the one at Rice in 83, I remember that so well because I remember we lost about one point. And then we got up the next morning and drove to Dallas and watched the Saints and the Cowboys play. And the, and the Saints lost by one point to the Cowboys. Kenny Staber looked like, I mean. 21-20. Yeah, we had the lead. And then all of a sudden, he's falling down in the end zone, oh. throwing the ball. I mean, you can't tell me that he, hey, Kenny, God A rest your soul. But I, I think you had money on that game. <laughs> You're not the first person to think that. No, sir. So. Now, obviously, when I think Rice Cajun football, I think Clarence Burton kickoff return. It was the first year after the Cajuns made the decision not to go in what was called 1AA then and stay in Division One, And they went to Rice and, and Clarence Burton um, ran the kickoff back for a touchdown. What was the final score of that game? 21-14? 21-14. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what I think of when I think of Rice Cajun football. But you're right. There hadn't been a whole lot of games over Well, here. those were the first two, 82 and 83, that, and those were the games that I went to. Uh, the funny part is we played them in 82 and 83, back-to-back years, but both games were in Houston. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how that worked. And, and I, looked at, I looked at our media guide, and I looked at their media guide thinking I typed in something at, wrong. Yeah, and both of them show that we played in Houston, hmm. so. Very interesting. There but was, one of the games in 88 or 89 was here, right? Yeah, 88. Yeah. 88, 89, uh, here in 88, 89 there. And we put a pretty good whooping on them, 41-16. The Cajuns are 3-1 three, are three and one in the last four games since 1982. Well, they had trouble with Brian Mitchell, but a lot of people had trouble with Brian Mitchell. Mr. Go, as we yeah. like to call him back then. So what do you want to see? All right, maybe not see different, but what – do the Cajuns on offense need to improve on this weekend? Well, I just want to see an efficiency with the passing game. I know um, Ben had was efficient in the passing game, but everything was rolling, you know, for a lot of that. I just want to see more efficiency. In I mean, I, I don't need them to be twelve out of thirteen, but it just the it was just kind of disjointed you know, for a while, the passing game. I just want to see a little more efficiency. Well, I think the first half, and I meant to look at this too, because I want to say Chandler started out like two for eight, but in the fourth quarter, he came on and, and did did what Chandler does. And you know what? Coach Daz said something on Monday's press conference that I thought I had suspicion of in the game, that two of the drops were because of the sun. Yes. Which, 
in a game where we had an hour and three minute lightning delay doesn't seem to go together, but that's kind of the way it's South Louisiana weather, I guess. But yeah, I thought at the time that two of the drops, the sun may have impacted him. And he said they did. Yeah. And Gerald mentioned that on the radio broadcast as well, that, that he goes, he goes, I'll tell you right now. He said, those are not drops. Those guys could not see the ball because of the sun. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, after it happens once, why do you run the damn play again? <laughs> well, I don't know. I guess there's some things we'll just never know. <laughs> and again, that's why I'm sitting on a podcast. Yeah. And Coach Des is coaching one school. Won the game, so. Yeah. So efficiency. Um, I, I would like to see a faster start. I think, you know, we did it against Southeastern. We scored on the first drive. Now that, that was looking back to was one of the things that, Levi was very efficient, and you you call it make it take it, where we whether it was a touchdown or a field goal, we would score at the end of the half, and we in yeah. our first that didn't happen this past it week. It didn't happen, and I, I think it's one of the most least discussed. I discuss it all the time. Yep, on radio and Twitter, and if you're just but a lot you don't hear it a lot of talk. I think you win. Fo- I it's the difference between winning and losing football games. It can be a lot of the time. It, I, it, I agree. It can be a 10, 14 point swing and that's and that's big and it can be demoralizing. I, absolutely. You know, the other thing that I'm a little concerned about, I'm not really concerned about it, but um, I, I, I want to see them defend the run really well. Okay. okay. And I'm a little worried about the run defense. Uh, it, it wasn't a problem at all last year. I'm just a little worried by it. And so I think if if the run defense is good, right and early, that they can rush the passer a little better and get more pressure on the quarterback because they haven't done a tremendous job with that. Marcus has a couple sacks like we talked about, but I think if they can in the first half defend the run really well, that will allow them to rush the passer a little better. And Andre, because I really thought Andre Jones was gonna, he had a was gonna go crazy with sacks this year, and it's still early. But I think they can unleash him a little more off the edge if they can really defend the run early. Do you think part of that is kind of the uh, the unknown though that we had? Because if I remember when I co- talked to Coach Des, he talked about he really confident about the linebacking core. And uh, but I think they played a real physical team in Eastern Michigan last yeah. week, and 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 I think they played a quarterback that could really run in the first. Their running game wasn't all that great, but the quarterback could really run. And so I I, I think it's going to work itself out. I just want to see that in the first half this week. Yeah, 320 yards passing for them and uh, in, in, in only six, 76 rushing, a net of 41. But part of that is uh, the quarterback being sacked. But I was a little surprised, uh, Jalen Jackson, five carries for 37 yards, seven almost seven and a half yards per carry. It's a little surprised they didn't try to run him more. But they got away from their game, it seemed like. I mean, they came out and were, were successful. Yes. Yeah, but they had some success throwing early. Yeah. And they have good receivers. Like, I thought they were a pretty good team. I, well, they just fell apart and melted down once this one stuff going and went bad. You know, that's something that Cajuns talked a lot about this game, that they've had to face adversity before and that their veterans were like, look, we're good. It's a, We're down, but it's okay. It's 14 points. But, like, when things went bad for Eastern Michigan, they just, they just completely melted down and fell apart. And I – for an older team, that's a, that was a little surprising because they were built as an older, senior-oriented team, and that's good. Something good that the Cajuns showed in that game that they didn't melt down when things went bad. Well, what I really liked about it all was Eastern Michigan, West 
Eastern Michigan. Eastern Michigan. I think I said Western earlier in the podcast. Okay. Uh, but Eastern Michigan was a trash-talking team. Talked a lot of trash. Yeah. And I like the fact that our guys didn't retaliate on that. But when, when those guys were trying to catch the ball, we were very physical. I think we punished them. I think they there did. were times that – No, they, they did. The, That's true. They got the alligator arms. No, I, I, I think there's some truth to that. And I guess, you know, Coach Dez has hinted a few times this week that there were some things going on in the field that he didn't really like very much, and he was talking to the officials about it. I think you just hit upon some of that. Number two, uh, for them uh, – where is he at now? Hassan Boudet. Yeah. And then uh, on the defensive side, it was Alec Merritt, number zero. Mm -hmm. And when he went down, man, it just like, and he, now he was a hell of a football player. He was all over the field. But when he went down, they struggled on on their defensive line. And, um, but, and that, you know, that's why we talk about that. Yep. This week was something funny. There's one Broussard in this game. He plays for Rice. Yeah. <laughs> and his name, I, I don't remember his first name. It's oh, I don't know if it's Ari or Ari, but but it's, Ger- it's A-R-Y, which is his it is Gerald Broussard's daughter in law. Daughter in law, yeah. I, <laughs> have you talked to Gerald? You probably talked to Gerald. I didn't, but I didn't, but you're right, that is her name, yes. So uh he was kind of joking. Yes. So uh, uh he showed a video when we were up in the booth uh of his grandson. And he, he he couldn't say go Cajun. He was just yay football team. You know. I tell you one thing. I'd like for Gerald to be my um, grandfather. Yes, because <laughs> I can get away with a lot of stuff. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I've never seen somebody so much in the booth get so many texts and videos yeah. and pictures. And I think it's it, it's awesome, quite honestly. So, uh, anything else thoughts on on the upcoming game? Well. I told you I'm a tight end guy. The other thing I like is making field goals. And, you know, they they didn't attempt one last week. They didn't have to. Worked out well. I, I would love to see a field goal of, you know, at least 35 yards or so made. Because I, I just think it's important for the head coach to know if I need a field goal, then my guy can make it. Uh, so where is where 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 is our kicker from? I should know that. From Catholic High of Baton Rouge. Okay. Transfer from LSU. Um, so used to playing on grass, and I to me that's kind of when you get something a little wet. It's like a baseball player that comes to the tee and it's not used to that field, and you get right. it and slides past it, and we're like, ah, mm-hmm. no. Uh, I think he's a little hesitant there, in, in my opinion. I, I'm. I mean, it could be. I, I'm just. I, I'm. I'm going to listen to Coach Des because he's pretty honest as yep. coaches go. And he, and and he didn't. He said that All he coaches lie. he didn't not kick the field goal on the on the uh, Pierce Miguel because it had nothing to do with it. And so I'll I'll, I'll trust him on that. But I I just want to see more time and more opportunities. And I just like being able to make field goals. I agree. Absolutely. I don't like feeling like you have to go for it because you have no confidence you can make a field goal. So I want to. I mean, it's kind of sad to say because the team you're you're pulling for, you kind of want them to score touchdowns, but also. Kind of hope he makes a field goal, gets one attempt, and, and makes. Well, no, because at some point, and we saw that uh, last year. Uh, I'm trying to think of the kicker's name from Indiana. Yeah, uh, you know he had to make one at the end of the game, and was uh, he, he did. 
And he against Georgia Southern. Yeah. By the way, we we're not we're past the Sun Belt, but That's the right. thing that has impressed me the most this year is you're talking about a team that ran the option football for decades. They won national championships at lower levels. And Clay Helm comes in and in, in in week two, he's chunking the football all over the field and he's winning at Nebraska. That might be the most impressive thing of this whole weekend that they've gone from a running option team that quickly to an, an effective passing game. They uh, last week, the previous week, they threw four touchdown passes instead of school record. Second most passing yardage in school history this past week. How do you do that that quickly? Uh, you know, it's one of those. That, that's important because I was all through Sunbelt Conference Media Day. I'm like, man, how are they gonna how are they gonna make that transition that quickly? But listen to this: so they had two backs, one with 132 yards, the other one with 85 yards rushing. They ran the ball for 233, 409 passing, 233. So. Man. They were pretty balanced. He might be a good offensive coach. Absolutely. Now, you wouldn't expect 56 passing attempts and only 30 rushing attempts. It used to be, you know, if they threw the ball more than 10 times, you had a story. Right. And so, look, the Cajuns have they, – it, look, they beat them by eight last year and it wasn't that close. The no. Cajuns should have blown them out, but they just did it. But, but still, they only won by eight. And then the year before, they won on that crazy field goal. Yep. Of what fifty one yards on the last play of the game, so it's a little scary. Their offense is that good, that Absolutely. quick. It, it it is, and uh, good for Sun Belt depth, but not necessarily good for the Cajuns when they play. And we'll see. No a Thursday night game as well, so that's going to be a different. Hopefully, well, Kevin, thank you. Tell everybody where they can uh, catch you on Twitter uh, at Footnote. Uh, I try to tweet out a lot during the game, and I, I, I some people when they tweet, they just kind of. Give the facts, and I do that sometimes. But I normally give my opinions. I'm yep. pretty opinionated when it comes to certain philosophies of football and, and that kind of stuff. So it's at footnote, yes. And it's especially fun during the Saints game. <laughs> really, <wondering laughs> you can, I can see you because I know you. I can see your face. I can see I, I, your reaction, and and almost like you're pounding <laughs> on that key. Yes. <laughs> yes. We're gonna put a little extra emphasis on this. Uh, hopefully. Please pray for me, Sunday. So you can also ke- uh, read Kevin's articles on the Acadiana Advocate and hear Kevin from 9 to 11 on 103.7 game. Kevin, appreciate your time. Thank you. Let's get together, if you don't mind, in a couple weeks or so, a couple, three weeks, whatever Hopefully works. we still got a winning streak going. And we got a winning streak, and we can uh, we, we, we can be close to the midway point and yes. talk some more football. All right. How are your Astros doing? Or should I not really, ask? really good right now. All right, we'll so I'm going to leave it at that. Yeah, okay. Don't want to jinx it. <laughs> yes. You've been listening to We're Talking with Craig Malonsaw and Kevin Foote. Thanks for listening.